When I was a kid, there was a series of children's books. I'm going to guess that many of you have heard of them. It's called Choose Your Own Adventure. How many of you remember Choose Your Own Adventure? Okay. They look like this. Okay. And there's all kind of different titles. And these things were wildly popular. They sold over 250 million copies worldwide. That's a lot of copies, right? And so if you're not familiar with how it works, as the reader, you get to control the plot of the story. So as you're reading through the chapter, let's say you meet a dragon. Well, then all of a sudden you have a decision. You can turn to page 76 and fight the dragon, or you can go to page 38 and hide in a cave and wait for the dragon to leave. You get to determine the outcome of the story. And as you can imagine, these are really popular with kids. Why? Because when you're a kid, you think that's the way it works. I control my own destiny. I get to choose my own adventure. Life is going to be this one big grand adventure. But as you grow up and as you start to adult, what do you learn? It's not like that at all, right? Not only do you not get to choose your own adventure, life has a way of just happening to us. And before we know it, we're not choosing adventures. We're just trying to survive to see the very next day. Now, I know that's not encouraging, but that's just the way that life tends to work. And as a church family, we've started into this journey this year where we're reading through scripture together using the Read Scripture app. Now, if you haven't downloaded this app yet, I wanna encourage you to go to our website, genesischurch.me. There's a tab that says Planted. You can download the app. You can download the reading plan. This is a great opportunity for, uh, for you to join us as we progress through the story of scripture together. And today, we're gonna look at the story of a young man named Joseph, okay? And Joseph's life was not a choose your adventure story. It was the opposite. It was like a choose your own trauma, choose your own crisis, because this guy's life, I mean, high, high, low lows, and, and literally everything in between. So if you have a Bible, I want you to turn right now to follow along with us in Genesis chapter 37, because that's where Joseph's story begins. But before I tell you about Joseph's story, I want you to learn a little bit about Joseph's family. This is really important, okay? We just sang a song about this. Last week, we learned about a really old dude named Abraham. And God promised this old guy, Abraham, who did not have a family, he said, I'm gonna give you a family. It's going to be huge. I'm gonna give your family a land. It's called the promised land. People still talk about the promised land today. And Abraham, I'm gonna use your family that doesn't exist yet to bless the whole world. The whole world will be blessed through your family. Now that is a foreshadowing of the coming of Jesus eventually. But here's what I want you to know about Abraham's family. God makes this promise to Abraham and Abraham eventually has a son named Isaac. And Isaac has a son named Jacob. And Jacob has a son, has a bunch of sons that we're gonna talk about today. And one of those sons is Joseph. But before I tell you about Joseph, let me tell you about his dad. Okay, his dad had two wives. Never a good idea, not in God's plan. But as if that couldn't be bad enough, his two wives were, wait for it, they were sisters, maybe the worst idea ever, right? I mean, every holiday, every day is gonna be awkward. And so these ladies start to compete for his attention by seeing who can give him the most children. And so if you read the story, here's what happens. They are having this competition and they invite their maidservants in on the action. And when it's all said and done, when the dust clears, Jacob doesn't have two wives, he has four. And he has 12 boys and a daughter. And their family is like a really, really bad reality TV show. And so this is Joseph's family. Joseph was number 11 of those 12 sons. He was one of the baby boys, but his story is really, really interesting. Okay, so uh, here's, the, here's the thing. Joseph's got a dad, he's got a mom, he's got three stepmoms, 
and 12 other siblings, and they live close to one another. Just imagine the chaos and the strife and the, how you're going to make it through day to day. Well, I want you to look at his story where it begins in Genesis 37, verse 2. This is what we learn about Joseph. This is the account of Jacob's family line. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. Now, Bilhah and Zilpah are the maidservants. These are his stepmothers, okay? So he's in the fields with his stepbrothers, and this is what he does. He brought their father a bad report about them. So when we meet Joseph for the first time, we learn that he's 17, which means, and it actually translates into English, he was a punk. He thought he knew everything. Strike one against him. Some of us guys are raising, when I was a 17-year-old, oh, I was the ultimate punk, right? Already thought he knew everything, but he's the baby, and he was a snitch. So he liked to go home and say, Dad, you're never going to believe what those bozos did at work today, right? So he's just, this is, this is Joseph, okay? So I want you to look at verse 3. Here's what we learn next in the story. Now, Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons. Now, really important, okay? Israel. Israel is Jacob, his dad. At some point in the story, God says, I'm going to change your name to Israel. So this is a man, but eventually this man becomes the nation of Israel. So Jacob loved Joseph more than his 11 other sons because he had been born to him in, in his old age. He was a baby and he made an ornate robe for him. So Joseph is the favorite and his dad says, here's this really awesome robe that I want you to wear around all the time to let everybody know that I love you the most. Now, I am not a child psychologist, but I am the oldest of four siblings. I am the, I am the parent of four and I just want to say, I think I have a little authority here. One, you should never marry more than one person. Two, you should never marry spouse or siblings. And three, don't ever play favorites with your kids, okay? How many of you have favorites? That was the test. You know you do, but you can't talk about it, right? You don't want anybody to know. I don't have favorites. I love all my kids the same, okay? Shame on you that raised your hands. <laughs> don't ever play favorites with your kids. But Jacob doesn't agree with this simple parenting philosophy, because he gives a robe to Joseph and nothing to everybody else. This would be like at Christmas. Hey, Joseph, here's your Xbox. The rest of you, I got you a choose your own adventure book. I hope you enjoy, right? That's just not, that's just not the way you do things. Now, I have a little experience with this in my own personal life. I'm the oldest of four. My next oldest brother, his name is Matthew. But guess what his middle name is? Joseph. And do you think my parents babied him just a little bit? Guess who they bought a car for and guess who they didn't buy a car for? The guy named Joseph got a car. So when I tease him, I'm like, he's clearly your favorite. His name is Joseph. They're like, Jerry, it was different. I'm like, he's two years younger than me. It's not that different, okay? So we, we know this is wrong when we experience it. So what does that do with siblings when a parent plays favorites? It's not good. Well, when he gives him this robe, here's what he's communicating. I love him the most. And by the way, all of you guys, when I die, he's going to get the majority of my inheritance. That's really what was at stake here. Now, how do you think this set with his brothers? Well, let's see in verse four. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all the rest of them, they hated him and they could not speak a kind word to him. You don't say. Siblings don't get along anyway, but you start playing favorites at this level and they absolutely hate him. And oh yeah, he's the baby. They're all bigger. They're all stronger, right? This is not, this is not a good thing. But Joseph just couldn't help himself because at this season of his life, he starts to have dreams at night that his family 
bow down to him. And so when everybody's sitting at the breakfast table eating Lucky Charms, he's like, guess what I had a dream about last night with his robe? He's like, you guys are going to bow down to me. Now, what do you think his brothers would do? They did not like it. If you read in Genesis 37, we learned they came up with a plot to kill him. They physically came up with a plot and they're like, well, let's not kill him. Let's throw him in a pit so he dies on his own. Okay, this is, this is the story. But then they have a change of heart. In Genesis 37, verse 26, Judah, one of his brothers says this. What will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let's sell him to be a slave, right? After all, he's our brother, our own flesh and blood, and the, bro the brothers agree. Now, this is, this is kind of funny, right? How many of you, if you have, have you've ever had a sibling, how many of you have ever wanted to sell them on eBay? Of course you have. Thank you, DJ, for being honest. Of course you have, right? If eBay had been a thing when I was a kid, I would have threatened my sister. Don't you make me put your profile up there, okay? Now we laugh, but this is literally what his brothers did. They literally sold him. They all agreed to it. And before we laugh this off or just chalk this up to being weird, I want to stop and put you, I want you to put yourself in this story. Imagine you're Joseph, you're 17. You come up on your brothers working in the field and they jump on top of you and they hold you down. They drag you over and they throw you in a pit that's so deep that you can't get out. So wide, you cannot get out on your own. And you hear them up there saying, let's leave him, let's leave him to die. And you're thinking, oh, they're, surely they're gonna pull me out. Surely they're gonna pull me out. And they keep talking and then like one of them says, I got an idea. And they pull you out and here's some slave traders that are coming. And all of a sudden they're not let, like they're holding you down and they start to exchange money with the slave traders. And then they hold you down. You're 17, you're pretty strong. They hold you down and you've got shackles on your hands and shackles on your feet. And the slave traders start going this way and your brothers start going that way. And you're doing this. You're like, guys, come on, this isn't funny. Guys, come on, guys. And I have to imagine at 17, he's crying, he's screaming, he is throwing a fit and being drugged away. And he's realizing, this is it. I'm never gonna see my dad again. In fact, Think about this, his life expectancy just got cut by more than half if he's lucky. He doesn't know where he's going. He doesn't know what's gonna happen next. Imagine the sense of rejection. Imagine the regrets. Imagine, just imagine how you would feel. And then imagine his brothers. How much do you have to hate somebody? How hard does your heart have to be to come up with this plan? And you know, you're gonna go home and lie to your dad and say, oh, it's terrible, an animal killed him. This is not a choose your own adventure. Life just blew up in his face out of nowhere. And maybe you can relate. Have you ever felt like you're just being drug away to a foreign land as a prisoner and there's nothing you can do about it? Maybe there's a relationship that has crumbled right before your eyes and you're left picking up the pieces and you are sad, you are lonely and you, you don't know what to do about it. Or you go to the doctor, you or your loved one go to the doctor and you get test results and all of a sudden they're not good and, and there's a timetable. Oh, by the way, you have this long. And all of a sudden you realize I'm not going to get to do some of the things that I wanted to do. Or just like that, you're out of a job or your career blows up or worse yet, you find yourself at a funeral home making arrangements. I remember making arrangements for my mom a couple years ago. She died unexpectedly. And it was like, what color do you want? Do you, do you like what kind of casket? And I'm just thinking, I don't want any of these things she should still be here. Why, like you, you just, you don't understand until you're there and all of a sudden you realize life just has a way of not feeling like an adventure at all. And you're just being drug off 
like a prisoner in shackles. Well, that's Joseph. That's where he is. And maybe you can relate. Maybe you've been there before. Maybe you're there now. There's a chance we're going to be there at some point in the future. But I want you to pay attention to what we see next in his story. Because what we're going to start to see is a pattern that develops. It's totally unexpected in the midst of the chaos and the pain. But there's something really important that we need to see for our own lives. I want you to look at Genesis. Flip over to Genesis 39. And I want you to look at verses 1 through 4. This is what we read. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt... And this man named Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. So he's got his new master. He knows his name is Potiphar. But look at this. The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered. And he lived in the house of the Egyptian master when his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did. Joseph found favor in his eyes, and he became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household, and he entrusted him to the care of everything he owned. Basically, Potiphar takes an early retirement because Joseph, all of a sudden, he's like, this guy's good. It says, the, the, the writer of Genesis says, the Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered. Now, the word prosper means flourish, thrive, grow, or succeed. How many of you want to prosper in life? How many of you lie? Of course you do, right? We want to prosper. We want our kids to prosper. We want our grandkids to prosper. We want our business to prosper. This is what we want. It's okay to want that. That's what Joseph wanted. It's what Joseph was experiencing. But that is not the most important word in that sentence or in that phase of Joseph's life. Here's the most important word. Next slide. There we go. The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered. The writer of Genesis says, look, he prospered, but here's what you need to know. He prospered because the Lord was with him where he was. And by the way, where was he? It's not like he was prospering as a camel salesman or a real estate developer. He was prospering as a slave in a foreign land. He hasn't done anything to deserve to be there, but that's where he is. And he's starting to see and to understand that the Lord is there with him. But I wanna share something with you that I saw in this story this week for the very first time. And it hit me. I was like, wow, I'd never, I never noticed this before. This is the first time in Joseph's story that God is mentioned. From the moment you meet Joseph, you don't hear anything about God until life falls apart. And the writer of Genesis says, I want, Genesis says, I want you to pay attention because the Lord is with him. And so here is a big theological truth that I want you to wrap your mind around. This might blow you out of your seats. It might shock you. Here it is. No matter where you are, the Lord is with you. No matter where you are, the Lord is with you. Now that seems somewhat predictable, right? It might even seem overly simplified. It's easy for us to just brush past this, but I want you to think about all the songs we just sang. If this isn't true, we shouldn't sing at least three of the four songs we just sang. The Lord is with you wherever you are. Now, I realize that that might be hard to wrap your mind around because from where you sit as a student, the thought of graduating seems impossible. You're like, I don't even understand how it's gonna, I failed this class, I don't get it, things don't make sense to me, it just seems impossible. Or maybe you're totally confused about who you are and how God has created you and how you fit in with everyone else around you. Maybe your job feels like a dead end and every day is the same thing over and over on repeat. And you're like, I just, I don't know, if he's with me, I don't know. I'm pretty, my life's pretty boring. I don't know why he'd wanna be here with me. 
Maybe your health has taken a turn and you're not recovering. Maybe your marriage is coming unraveled and you're, you're afraid that it's not going to make it a whole lot longer. Or just because of the way things are in the world right now, you're terrified of the future. And you're like, man, if God is with me, it would be really nice to know because I am, I'm really scared right now. I'm anxious. You don't see a way out. You can't see a way through. Well, don't you think that's how Joseph probably felt as a slave? This is not, this was not in his plan, but somehow he's starting to see and he's starting to understand God is with him in spite of all the horrific things that happen in his life. And if you keep reading in his story, guess what? He does prosper. Things get well, they, they go well for him for a while until Potiphar's wife, his master's wife, falsely accuses him of rape. And his master takes him and throws him into prison. Look at what happens next. In Genesis 39, verse 20, we read this. Joseph's master took him and put him into prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. But while Joseph was in prison, verse 21, the Lord was with him and he showed him kindness and he granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden so that the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison and he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. And again, another one of Joseph's, Joseph's boss takes an early retirement. He's like, you got this, man. You don't need me. I'm just in your way. You go do your thing. So he's his dad's favorite. He gets sold as a slave. Now he is falsely accused and he's in prison. Things go from bad to worse. This poor guy, this poor kid can't get a break. But the writer of Genesis says, but the Lord showed him kindness no matter what happened in his life. And from our perspective, we're like, oh, that reads good. Like, I want my story to read like that. No matter what happens, I want the Lord to be with me. But again, you guys, he's a prisoner living in a dungeon. Does anybody want to sign up for that adventure? Falsely accused? We read it as good, but it's, it's still pretty horrific. But all during that time, Joseph had a decision. Am I going to remain faithful to God or will I bail on this faith? And apparently he seemed to be learning that God is with him. And I want you to think about this. He's in his 20s. These are the best years of his life. His whole future is ahead of him. And he's in prison. Now, if you keep reading the story, eventually what you see, you get to Genesis 41. He's been a prisoner for a while. Things have happened. Things were promised that didn't come true by other people. And in Genesis 41, we realize that the Lord is going to come through for Joseph in a way that he would have never imagined, he could have never scripted. And through a series of events that can only be explained as God ordained, Joseph was summoned by Pharaoh to interpret a dream. Now, Pharaoh at this point in time was the most powerful man in the world. There was no one more powerful. And I want you to think about this. Pharaoh, in, that, in those days, the Pharaohs believed they were God. Not like God, not God's, they were God. That factors into this story. Now I want you to take a moment and put yourself back in Joseph's shoes. Here's your situation. Servant, slave, I'm sorry, slave, prisoner, been a long time, and all of a sudden the most powerful man in the world says, I need your help. What do you do? This is when you take things, matters in your own hands. I am not gonna let this pass by. I'm gonna do whatever I can do to get out of the situation that I'm in. And what happens is in, in Genesis 41, look what happens, verse 15. Pharaoh said to Joseph, 
most powerful man in the world. I had a dream and no one can interpret it. But I've heard it said of you that you can hear a dream and interpret it. Side note, if you read his story, that actually happened. There were two guys that had these weird dreams and he says, oh, okay, this is what this means and this is what that means. And apparently the word had made its way back to Pharaoh. So he says, I've got a dream. I need you to help me solve it. And Joseph, I love this. Joseph says, I'm your guy. This is my side hustle in prison. I'm so good at this. In fact, I will interpret this dream if you get me out of here. Is that what he says? I, I can't do it. But God will give Pharaoh the answer that he is seeking. Now, don't miss this. He's been in here for a long time. This is his opportunity to make himself look smart and wise and important and valuable to the most powerful man in the world. And he basically says, would you please hold on to my contact because I can't help you this time, but I'd like to help you next time. And instead of taking advantage of the moment for himself, he verbalizes his faith in his God to be able to do this seemingly impossible task. Now, remember, Pharaoh would have thought he was God. And so Joseph is saying, hey, I don't want to hurt your feelings. It's really nice to meet you, but you're not God. I know him. He can help you. I'd be happy to introduce the two of you. That's pretty bold, right? Not to mention that his life has been one disappointment after the other. He gets really bold and says, this is something that only God can do. And don't miss this. The same God that was with him when he was sold as a slave, the same God that was with him when he was a prisoner, was still with him when he was standing in Pharaoh's presence and Pharaoh could tell there's something about this young Hebrew. And so he tells him the dream and Joseph says, okay, here's what this means. There's gonna be seven good years. You need to collect all the food you can. And then there's gonna be seven really bad years. And so, and then, and then Joseph says, I think you probably need to find somebody. And he begins to spell out this really important plan on how Pharaoh in Egypt can survive this famine and I want you to hear what happens in Genesis 41, 37. The plan seemed good to Pharaoh and all of the officials. So Pharaoh said, can we find anyone like this man, one in whom is the spirit of God? Parentheses, I'm God. I know when God's spirit is in somebody, this is our guy. Is there anybody like this guy anywhere? That, now, I want you to pay attention. This is so important. Somebody pointed this out to me this week. This is the first time in scripture that it's hinted at that God's spirit can live in people. Don't miss this. This is important for me and you. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has made all this known to you, there's no one so discerning and wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace and all my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Now, how is that for a plot twist? That is incredible. He goes from being a prisoner to the vice president of Egypt. Now, when we read Joseph's story, we're like, this is the part I like. God, forget all the other stuff. I just want it overnight. I want to become the vice president of something. I want to see you working in my life just like this. And we think, oh, that all happened overnight. As we read through scripture this year, especially, I'm going to say this, especially if you're familiar with the stories. I want you to pray and say, God, will you show me details I've never seen before? Because there's a detail that the writer of Genesis gives us to help us know how grueling of a process this would have been for Joseph. Look at Genesis 41, 46. Joseph was 30 years old 
when he entered the service of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. How old was he when he was enslaved? He was 17. So if you're doing the math, that's 13 long years of being a slave and then being a prisoner. And finally, eventually at 30, he comes into Pharaoh's service. I heard one pastor say this. This is pretty amazing, right? There's no other way that Joseph could have ever landed in that position, especially that early in life. One, he wasn't Egyptian, but two, how, does, how do you get there at 30? God took all the hardships in his life and said, I'm gonna do something in your life you could never imagine. I will be with you. I will never, ever, ever leave you. And apparently Joseph had learned, God is with me and I can walk with him and he will use me. He made a promise to my grandfather, he's with me. And if you fast forward through the rest of his story, here's what you see. God does use him to save an entire nation, the most powerful nation in the world. He uses this 30-year-old Hebrew boy, Hebrew man. But he also, God uses Joseph's position of power to save and spare his family from dying of starvation so the promise of Abraham can continue on. And in an act of incredible grace, Joseph gets to meet his brothers and they are scared of him. They bow down before him, just like his dream had said. And he says, hey guys, what you meant for evil, God intended for good. I forgive you, we're good. And their family is restored. That's a cool story, right? But it should leave us asking two really important questions. Here's the first one. I love the story, but what's it got to do with me? And here's the second one. And I want you to ask this every week. Where's Jesus in the midst of all of this? That's great for Joseph, but what about me and what about Jesus? Well, when it comes to me and you, I just want to go back to this profound theological truth, the truth that we have on earth today. No matter where you are in your life, no matter where life has picked you up and thrown you down, no matter how high you are up here, no matter how low you are, no matter how dark it might seem, no matter how long we have to wear masks and social distance, the Lord is with you. The Lord is with you. And chances are, none of us are going to be the next vice president of Egypt. But if the Lord is with you, that means he can be with you and give you peace in the chaos that you're gonna step into later today or tomorrow. That means if the Lord is with you, he can work with you to save your marriage, but you gotta walk with him while he's walking with you. If the Lord is with you, he can do anything he wants to restore relationships in your family that are broken, to save your job. He can do anything. He can heal you. He can bring people close to him. The Lord is with you. Do not write this off and don't think that is for somebody else. That is for me. That is for you. And that is my prayer. In this very familiar story, you will not just run through it. You will, you will stop and say, Lord, I know you're with me. In fact, I just want to be really honest with you guys this week. I've had to pray a very simple prayer about a hundred times. I have been discouraged this week. I've been distracted. I have not been fun to be around at home. I don't really know what's going on in here or here, but I have had to stop and say, Lord, I am thankful for Joseph's story. You were with him. I know you're with me. Will you help me to see you with me right now? And I just, I, I, I have prayed that prayer. In fact, at one point I had to sit down and I had to map out the times that I've seen God with me. I remember graduating at 22 years old, graduating college with a marketing degree. I had no clue. I was like, I don't know what I'm gonna do with my life. 
And over the course of time, God just opened up some doors for me. He led me out of that and into a career in ministry. Now, the goal isn't that we all end up in ministry. The goal is we end up where God wants us to go. But after 20 years, I can see how God has been with me through uncertainty. When my wife, Casey, and I had a hard time getting pregnant early on in our marriage, it took five years, we can see that God was with us in the waiting. And then when we lost our first child due to miscarriage, God was with us in the pain. It was not fun. It was hard, but I can tell you he's been with us. When we almost lost one of our sons before he was born, he was with us in the fear. And today, 12 years later, that boy loves the Lord. He's got a huge heart for God. The Lord's been with us and the Lord is with him. When my wife and I lost, both of us lost our moms when they were 64 years old one of them completely unexpected. And we can tell you how the Lord's been with us in grief. When we relocated our family here and everybody's like, why are you doing that? This is what he's telling us to do. The Lord has been with us in the details. He's put us at a great church with amazing people. We are so thankful for our friends here. We're so thankful to be a part of a church that's generous and is on a mission to help people find their way back to God. Now that's just slivers of my story. But maybe you need to sit down and map this out in your own life because I promise you, he is with you. So if you're wondering, okay, how do I connect with him? This is why we're reading scripture together as a church family. I want you to listen to what one of the, a lady from our church shared with us this week. She texted us. We didn't ask for this, but this is what she said. I hate to admit it, but my relationship with God has been put on the back burner over the last year. But reading through scripture with our family, with our church family, has been exactly what I needed to continue to grow in my faith and in my relationship with God. In other words, the more I read scripture, the closer I feel to God. I've been able to share that with others. I've been able to share what I'm learning and it's been a blessing to them and it's been a blessing to me. So I don't know where life finds you today, but if you don't know where to begin, I wanna encourage you to join us on this journey and then we connect with God through prayer. We connect with God through community because he is with us. So where's Jesus in all this? God made a promise to Abraham, it passed through Joseph, but where's he here and now? Well, I want to remind you of this. The writers of the New Testament tell us Jesus is eternal. He's always existed, but he left the comforts of heaven. He was born as a baby. He lived as a man to endure every hardship that you and I faced. And I've got some bad news for you. You and I are like Joseph's brothers. We're jerks. We mistreat God. We have broken our relationship with him. Jesus died in our place so that we can receive God's forgiveness, so that we can be restored back to God. And listen to this. Jesus says, when you put your trust in me, the Holy Spirit of God comes and lives inside of you. Does that sound familiar? That's Joseph's story. So if you wanna know if God's with you, his spirit can reside in you through faith in Jesus. So for those of us that follow Jesus, we need to hold on to that truth. But if you're here today and you've never started, you, you don't have a relationship with Jesus, today can be the day. You can meet me right down front afterwards. We can talk about this. You can surrender your life to him. You can begin to know him and you can feel and sense his presence with you everywhere you go all the time. Now, as we wrap up today, I wanna pray over you guys as our church family. So I wanna invite you right now to close your eyes. And I just wanna pray some Psalms over you. We've been reading through the Psalms, a Psalm a day, right? So I want you to start, stop and think, where does God feel very far away from you? Is it in your family? Is it at work? Where is, does he feel far away? 
Where do you wish you could feel him closely? Where does it feel like he's not with you? And I want you to listen to Psalm 3. Lord, how many are my foes? How many rise up against me? Many are saying of me, God will not deliver him, but you, Lord, are a shield around me, my glory, the one who lifts my head high. I call out to the Lord and he answers me from his holy mountain. I lie down and sleep and I wake up again because the Lord sustains me. Psalm 4, answer me when I call to you, my righteous God. Give me relief from my distress. Have mercy on me and hear my prayer. In peace, I lie down and sleep. For you alone, Lord, make me dwell in safety. Psalm 6, I'm worn out from my groaning. All night long, I flood my bed with weeping and drench my couch with tears. The Lord has heard my cry for mercy. The Lord accepts my prayer. Psalm 13, how long, Lord? Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face with me? How, mu how long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise for he's been good to me. Father in heaven, will you open our eyes to this truth? You are with us. No matter where we are, you are with us. And sometimes we can enjoy that when life is great, but we need to be able to enjoy that when life is hard. You wanna see us prosper no matter what happens. Would you teach us that in your word? Would you help us experience that in community? And would you, would you just help us feel the nearness of your presence? I pray for my friends. I pray for our church family. I pray for your church all over the world that we would never forget that you are with us. Jesus, you said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Holy Spirit, you live inside of us. So would you transform us to be more and more like Jesus every day? We love you. We praise you. We worship you with our words, with our songs, with our hearts, with our minds, with our eyes, with our ears. Would you help us every day to give our life back to you so we can see you at work? Jesus, we praise you. It's in your great name we pray. Amen.